Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show with your host, Scott Fullerton, as we discuss everything under the rainbow sun, from LGBT issues to foodies, entertainment to books. Join us as we talk to some of the most interesting leaders and celebrity LGBT guests and allies on the internet. So grab a cocktail, it's always happy hour somewhere, and enjoy the show. Now, here's your host, Scott Fullerton. Well, howdy, 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 everybody. Hey there, everyone. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show. It is Friday, May 1st, 2020. We finally got through April. Can you believe it? Longest month on record. Hey, guys, another jam-packed show today. I have three guests and barely any time to talk to you today. I'm only going to play half songs in between guests because we are so jam-packed. Three amazing guests in just a little bit, starting off with our good buddy, Stan Zimmerman. Stan, of course, is an amazing writer and director. He's written for the Golden Girls, for the Gilmore Girls, for Roseanne. He wrote the Brady Bunch movie. He has directed some amazing plays with some amazing stars like Melissa Peterman and Mindy uh, Sterling and so many other great people. So, yeah, we're going to have him on first in just a couple of seconds. Followed by the great Fernando Rivera, who's been such a good friend of the show. He's an amazing actor. He's been in international and national commercials everywhere. Great friend of the show. He's got a podcast to talk about. He's got his book to talk about. So it's always great to check in with Fernando. Then we're going to finish it up tonight with a LGBT travel expert, El Salvado, Ed, El, Ed Salvado. I got, I was thinking of Cinco de Mayo, I got Spanish all of a sudden. Ed Salvado is going to finish us up tonight and talk about his journeys in LGBT travel and everything that he's done great in that field. We're going to have Ed as a regular, semi-regular on the show to talk travel in the future. So if you missed last night's show, thank you so much to Joshua Conkle, Josh Robbins, his fiance Jeffrey, and of course, Kyle Langan from Hampton to Hollywood. Just so much good stuff going on, and I don't have time to talk about it at all tonight. And I have a special announcement at the end of the show. So let's go ahead and play a little bit of Nico. This is Skin. When we come back, we'll be talking to... Dan Zimmerman, all these uh, shows were pre-taped last week or the week before. Just had so many guests. We'll keep talking about that later. But uh, here we go. Enjoy. Happy Friday, everybody. I think I'm breaking like the waves on the shore. A million diamonds on the ocean floor when
All right, you guys, we are back. It is always great to chat with my next guest. He's pretty much in a three-way tie as my fave guest with the most appearances on the show. He's a prolific writer and director and probably has one of the most famous living rooms in Hollywood with the array of talent that have come over to do read-throughs on some of his amazing works. He made it off the love boat into New York City before the lockdown sent him back to L.A., and he's taken his quarantine to do his best Willie Nelson impression of all the girls he's loved and or written before as he works on a brand new memoir. Please welcome back to the show, my friend, Mr. Stan Zimmerman. Stan, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, but I want to know who are the other two. The other two. Huh? <laughs> the other two are uh, Del Shores and Terry Rayer, the three that have been on the most, and my absolute favorite people along with you, my friend. Well, I think we need to have, like, a competition, like a beauty pageant. There we go. I like it. Uh, what's your, what's I think we your should. What's your hidden talent? Can you twirl a baton? You'll have to, you'll have to wait and find <laughs> out. I'm, I'm working on it now. All Maybe right. That could be we a, are going to do that. Could be, that, that could be a fun segment uh, in Palm Springs if you do it this summer. Oh, that's true. That would be hilarious. We will have to do that. And that would be fun as people hell. could come and vote, and then, uh, but don't have a bathing suit competition. We won't do that, even though there is a nice pool involved. But maybe we can do it after dark in the jacuzzi, so we only see it from the oh, neck that, up. Okay. Or <laughs> the neck up, the neck up, I, I can handle. Yes, <laughs> even the shoulders. My shoulders are not so bad either. <laughs> There you go. I like it. I like it. A little Stan Zimmerman shoulder action. That's what I'm living for. There you go. How are you holding up during 2020? How am I doing? Yeah. Um, You know, it's been a big adjustment. It was a lot. um, I had a lot scheduled uh, kind of back-to-back projects between the end of February when I went on the first of two Golden Girls fan cruises. And then leading up to July, when I was going, I still might go, I don't know yet, um, for two weeks, a mentoring writer's program at a castle in France. How do you like that? Um, oh, my goodness. Four, four of my productions got postponed, unfortunately. And um, I was in New York working on one. We were workshopping during the week in New York, and I loved being in New York and walking to you know, rehearsals at a Broadway rehearsal studio, and it was very glamorous. Right. And then right at, right when we were ready to do the first reading, Broadway shut down, and we all had a meeting, and because the rehearsal room only fit less than 50, we decided to go ahead with it and felt people wanted a place to come and have a drink and, and laugh. And because it was all so new then, it was um, people wanted to come together and discuss and share feelings. And so we did that. The right. second reading was canceled. And I was supposed to be in New York the entire month. And I was going to be doing my suicide notes play right before I go at Fairfield University in Connecticut at the end of March. And um, then when everything got closed down, like schools, I spent over an hour on the phone and was lucky to get an airline ticket back to LA and home. And then here. Well, I'm glad you made I it back post- safe and sound. I definitely want to yeah. kind of go through all these things because you had so much going on. Um, let's I start did. with the Golden Girls cruise. You and our buddies okay. Frank DeCaro and Jim Colucci uh, were supposed to go for a week, and I kind of feel like I helped push you guys into that last year. But uh, it sold out so quickly, you had to do two times. Talk about how this went. 
the first cruise, there were 600 Golden Girl fans on there, and uh, which I didn't know. I thought it was going to be the whole ship. But then I learned that the other part of the ship was actually a biker's group, which seems oh, no. like a Golden Girls <laughs> It seemed like a Golden Girls episode right there. Um, maybe that will be done uh, when they make the movie of the Golden Girls. Um, and my new idea is that Cher should – I think Cher would be a good B. Arthur, Dorothy. Um, anyway, so that was just – I met so many great people, and it was just really interesting. And people thought you know, it would be only a certain demographic, but it was literally all ages, men, women from all over – and they were just so lovely. And then we had literally two hours when they got off the ship, and then we had a 1,000 Golden Girl fans come on for the second, and we went the same route. It was Miami, uh, Fort Lauderdale, uh, Miami, uh, Key West, and then Cozumel. <clears throat> and wow. I just heard so many great, great stories. It was very interesting. A lot of people um, – you know, there was like, is it okay if I tell you, you know, what the show meant or to be able to hear um, how they connected to that show? So many people talked about, you know, whether they watched it with their grandmothers or their mothers or family members. It was such a communal experience or it got them through really difficult times. Or one woman said um, that she was dealing with cancer and she had a setback, and she didn't think she'd be able to go on the cruise. And all of her friends bought the tickets and came on the cruise with her. But right before, she had to have an operation, and she wanted to uh, listen to a Golden Girls episode as she was being, you know, during the operation. And they said, you can't bring in any, you know, headphones or anything because they're not sterilized. So right. she just started crying. She started crying. And they wheeled her in, and then when she looked up, the entire crew in there, the anesthesiologists, all the doctors and nurses, started singing the theme song to her, Thank You for Being a Friend. And Aww. then I started, cry- I started crying because I've just never <laughs> heard a story like that. And it just showed me the power of that show and the fact, first of all, that everyone in there knew the theme song words, um, but what it meant to somebody and the comfort that that show brought people um and i you know i could have heard stories all day long it was just a wonderful group that sounds so great i love hearing that and uh for those of you who don't know i mean i didn't do an introduction because like i said stan's been on here more times than god stan is a prolific writer of the golden girls and the gilmore girls and rosanna we're going to talk about that in his book later on but yeah, you were you were kind of pivotal in that first part of Golden Girls, and it's so great to be able to connect with those fans like that. They are planning a cruise next year, next April. Uh, it's through Flip Phone Events, and uh, if you go to their website, and I'm just hoping the world will be, you know, kind of back to normal, and we can go out there and celebrate. Because when you, it was so cute, they had a caftan night for dinner, and to walk into that huge <laughs> dining room and see men, women. And the other people on the ship were going, why are all these people in gray wigs and captains? <laughs> I, however, did not. I did, I did not bring my captain. Maybe next year I will. There you go. Yeah, the bikers, I'm sure, were probably a little lost. That's kind of funny. <laughs> I love that a lot. <laughs> and you were on a panel. You and Jim talked about stuff. Talk about your panel a little bit. What did you get to discuss on the cruise? Um, well, also it was really wonderful that uh, Rue McClanahan's sister was there. 
and I had never met her, and she was just such a dear. And, you know, it was, it was just really wonderful to be – we did it in this big theater that probably sat a 1,000 people, and um, Frank DeCaro uh, hosted it and asked us questions. So it's always fun to be on a panel with Jim because he wrote that spectacular book, and um, if you haven't read it, you should definitely get it. It's just, it's everything you ever want to know about Golden Girls. And it's just beautifully done in the pictures. And um, it's heavy, so you could actually use it, you know, to build up your biceps at the same time. <laughs> I believe there was also someone from the diner, too, that was there, right? From the diner. diner oh, from yeah, the Golden yeah. Girls uh, diner. Yeah, so I actually went to the diner when I was in New York a few years ago. Uh, they opened a Golden Girls Diner uh, way up near in off near Harlem, actually. And I went with my friend Michael Yuri. I took him up there, and we get off to the subway. We walk in, and the spookiest thing happened. The guy did. He knew I was coming that day, but I didn't say what time of day. We walk in. Literally, as I walk into this cafe, my episode appears, the beginning, on their big screen. Goodness, how, that's crazy. How is that po- How is that possible? Were there cameras at the at the subway stop? Um, I don't know. Big Brother I just, really I is watching. Huh? <laughs> I, that is crazy. Hot. So I think there was there's definitely was a, a spirit or something around there, and um, the guy that started it was very close with Rue McClanahan, so he got all of her clothes. So they had just tons of memorabilia there. I was sorry to see it closed, and I hope that they can reopen it or do something with it because it was such a great idea. Right, right. Well, speaking of your buddy Michael Yuri, last Sunday he did such a phenomenal job with buyer and seller again that people that missed it when he originated, I think, in New York uh, got a chance to see. How fun was that? Well, he's so great in the part. I remember he was actually staying with me in Hollywood when they – gave him the script and he was going to do it. And um, then I went to see it off Broadway. Um, but it was very funny because he said, well, when you get a ticket, just don't sit in the first row. I was like, okay. So I've got a ticket like way to, <laughs> literally against the wall, against the wall. I get to the theater and they said, oh yeah, we changed your seat. And it was literally in the back row. And I said, Michael, why don't you just put me across the street? It's not like I have like a crazy laugh, um, <laughs> but so I, I always kid him with that. So, uh, And then I got That's to hilarious. see it opening night here in, in L.A. at the Mark Taper. And, I mean, he's right. so great in the part. And, it, it, you know, it's a one-man show. So he's, he's got a lot of lines to learn. And he does it beautifully. So hopefully everybody can get to see it. There you go. I, I wish they taped it. I don't know. I know Broadway World did it, but I don't know if they taped it. I wish someday they might. No, but That'd they're, they're talking about doing about doing it like, you know, because he, he did it in his living room uh, last week, right. but uh, they are talking about doing like a real film, the version, you know, where you have an audience that could laugh. And, you know, I think that would be great to have it, you know, recorded for for the rest of the, yeah, of that'd be the world. That'd be fantastic. He's done it with some great plays and with uh, Broadway HD doing so much great streaming now. That, yeah. That would be a fantastic thing to do. Very, Who very knew that cool. We would be, that we would be watching all those shows now. Exactly. And I mean, the whole world of entertainment, I'd like to get your perspective for just a brief moment here, because I think this whole pandemic is going to change the world of entertainment as we know it, Um, from live theater to live concerts, obviously, 
where people can't gather that much. It's going to take a couple of years to get back to um, a different way. And I think entertainers and different people are learning how it is to connect with the fans more directly, as you say, from their living room. Um, are you scared about that? Are you excited about that? What do you think is going to happen in the short run here? Well, being a Libran, I go back and forth. I mean, one minute I'm <laughs> literally, literally with, with, within uh, a span of a minute, I get very depressed and think that live theater will never happen again. And then I think, you know what? People are going to be so hungry to get out of the houses. They're going to want to go to see something. And I've been doing a lot of intimate theater in L.A., which is already under 50 seats. Um, and I've been telling my actors that, you know, we as artists have to be ready uh, to get people out and, and, you know, laughing or, you know, having another experience or thinking or feeling together or talking about, you know, where we've been and, you know, what that was like. Um, as far as larger theaters, um, you know, we're going to have to get creative and, and think of ways to to make it happen because, um, you know, whether it's sporting events or theater or concerts, eventually, you know, they're going to have to come back. So, Right. You know, not not that we want to get into the whole political thing. Um, you know, had testing started a month ago, full-fledged everywhere. I mean, the fact that, like, I can't be tested today is ridiculous. Right. And, and that especially the people that are the essential workers out there now can't even be tested unless they're symptomatic um, is, is very distressing. I was actually thinking before I called you, um, I don't know. Do you want to get political or not? <laughs> I we can, can go get back political. You know, I love a little politics. You and I talk about it off I, air a lot. Yeah, go for it. Well, I know some people said, you know, you can't just hate on the president. And then I thought, like, what would I have wanted him to say that first time that he sat down in the Oval Office? And I thought that would be kind of interesting to ask people to write that that speech. I think that, um, you know, when no matter who you are, when you come to a moment of a crisis, it says a lot about your person, how you handle it. And can you imagine if he had just said, you know what, now's the time not to be bipartisan. Now's the time to all come together. And I'm asking, you know, Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell and how about all of the old, you know, past presidents come for dinner. Let's figure this out together. You know, not pick, you know, the head of the WWE, but world leaders, get Colin Powell there. Let's come with the plan. And you know what? I'm not going to, you know, I don't care about the election. Can you imagine if he had said that? Like, even oh, yeah. people like me would have been like, whoa, wait a minute. You know, and he would have oh, exactly. won the election. <laughs> like, take this moment yeah. and be a bigger person. That would have been extraordinary and have the, the minds of the people that had been in his job Sit down and say, let's, we'll all come up with a plan together. And if we saw people of red, blue, purple, whatever, coming together, I think the Americans would have been less, you know, we're all just freaked out sitting in our homes. We would have felt, okay, people, the best minds are sitting there, and they're going to they're gonna help us through this together. And even if he said, I don't know all the answers, you know, or I wish we had done this before, or, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's... No, 100%. Unfortunately, he's too narcissistic for that to happen. I mean, I am as true blue Democrat as you can get. I'm living in a 
purplish to red state here in Ohio. And I got to tell you, our governor, Mike DeWine, shut this place down early, um, gives daily updates like uh, Cuomo does over our radio here. And I would vote for DeWine again in a second, being a Republican. I mean, uh, it just takes that kind of leadership to do that. And unfortunately, our president is not capable of that. It's very sad. Not capable. He doesn't want to. I mean, he doesn't really want to be in the job. And, you know, why have a leader of the whole United States if they're not going to represent the whole United States, you know, the job used to be about, okay, those, we had differences, but now let's come together. How can we come together? And yet at every single turn, it just seems to be dividing people, you know, to get reelected or for, I don't know what reasons um, that I just don't understand. And that's, what's been so difficult. And you just, you look at the numbers of people that have, that have died and it's just like, it doesn't seem real. And yet you go on Facebook and you see so many people, you know, um, that have either have passed or, or, you know, were very sick. Um, you know, as I was telling you earlier that my mother who lives in assisted living tested positive and although she's great and has had no symptoms and it's been over three weeks, those two weeks while we were waiting, it was very, very difficult. And I couldn't speak with her on the phone even that, um, you know, I just want to know everybody. I want to know, right. did I have it getting off the cruise or, you know, I, to me, knowledge is always power. And, and so I would have called up the army. Like, why are we not seeing the army come together and feeding people and doing the tests? And that's what they're there for. You well, know, we're going to talk said, Larry Van Frank in a second, but I'm hoping okay. that you're going to get some kind of thing out of out of this. Once once this starts getting written about, I, I'd love to hear your take on it because you are the thinking man's writer as much as you are with your fun projects as well. So I am definitely looking forward to that. Let's kind of circle back a little bit because, as you said, you went to New York after the cruise. So one of the things you were going to do is your amazing Right Before I Go And I think with uh, this pandemic and with things happening to relatives that they can't control and not being able to say goodbye and with the financial stress it's going to cause, we may be seeing more suicides in the future. I think this work is more important now than ever, my friend. Well, not just in the future. It's happening right now, right today. And that's another reason why I, I just want to keep doing the play you know, whether we have to find a way to do it remotely because they're monologues, it could be done, but um, telling that story and getting people to talk about it. And so I urge anybody, um, if you know people that are dealing with depression, check in with them. It's okay. Keep talking to people because people in isolation, you know, that may not have, that have lost their jobs and may not be... Um, you know, a place that they can just, you know, sit at home and, you know, reconnect with your family. They may not have a family. They may not have a way to get food for, you know, next weekend. Um, So I do, I'm very, very, very concerned about that. And I do hope that, you know, come the fall, we can reschedule that, you know, because we do want to also target um, kids in high school and colleges that are dealing with this. So I'm hoping to get it back up. But if there's anybody out there that would like me to bring the play to their community, we are looking to do that as well. Um, It's just four actors. And I've been actually playing me, the narrator, in it. And that's been a real um, 
difficult but also wonderful, and I'm honored to be bringing the story um, and telling it. It's, it's you know it's still a lot of tears, and it's even though I was based on uh, or inspired by a very close friend of mine who died by suicide almost eight years now, and um, the the emotions are still so raw, and that that always sure. surprises me, but. But then someone said, but isn't that great that you felt so much for your friend that you, he's, he's still there? Gets me right, through it. exactly. And then, and then talking to everybody after and, and as they express, you know, what that made them feel or think. And, um, yeah. So Does that still a, have its own website so people can request uh, maybe bringing back um, to their place? Through, uh, they should go through my website, uh, ZimmermanStand.com. And um, there's some stuff on there, and you can Google about it. And Michael Wilson has been involved in directing, and he's a big Broadway director. He directed Cicely Tyson and Vanessa Williams um, in The Trip to Bountiful on Broadway. Well, you've had Vanessa Williams read from this. I mean, you've had such great stars. You have Judith Light, which has done everything poignant there is to put out. Um, read from this. I mean, you've got some great people doing this. We so had it's, Alan it's Burr, just Alan, we had, yes, we had a great, great actors that have been involved in this. All right, and let's move a little bit. We were supposed to, I think, this last week or this week, uh, bring back Diary of Anne Frank. You've done it. We've talked about it in the past on previous shows. Please go back to the Leftist Trade Archives a little, little more about it. But you do a Latin X production, and you're supposed to be up and running right now, right? Yeah, we were uh, at a beautiful 250-seat theater. We started at a 50-seat theater in Hollywood. <clears throat> And then uh, at the Colony Theater in Burbank, we were all set to play this week um, through some wonderful people that uh, donated through Indiegogo and then the Rosenthal uh, Family Foundation, which is run by Phil and Monica Rosenthal. And Phil created Everybody Loves Raymond, and his wife was on the show, Brad Garrett's wife. And we've been friends for a while, and she saw the play and uh, was very moved and brought a bunch of students in. And so without their help, we would not have been able to put it up. But um, we're talking about doing it in the fall when schools come back because we want to do a couple of matinees just for school kids. And it's very interesting. So I cast everyone in the attic with Latinx actors after I heard uh, on a CNN report that a Jewish woman in L.A. was hiding uh, a mother and her two kids when her husband was deported by ICE. And that made me think that we're literally living in Anne Frank times. Little did I know we started this in 2018 that we would all be hiding in our homes uh, in 2020. And a lot of people online have made the parallels to the story. Obviously, you know, we're sitting on our couches and, you know, watching Tiger King, you know, and Anne Frank could barely eat. But I think it will bring new understanding when people see the play in the fall uh, what that was, you know, before they had no idea, like hiding and, you know, not being able to go outside. And now people can at least know those feelings. Right. Sure. So powerful, so powerful. And like you said, you had some great people coming down there. You had Wilson Cruz attached for a while and a couple of things. So uh, he's, he's still, yeah, he's we still involved in it. Yeah, we love we love Wilson. He came to the we opened it a second time 
last January and he came to the opening night and he was just like a ball of tears and he just, you know, was so lovely. And I've known him for, since he was a mere child from my so-called life. And um, we were just talking and he said he'd love to be involved in any way. So um, he's been great. And he's been such a great activist for our, our community. Yeah, he, he really is. And he's, uh, He's another one who's been doing great streams throughout this. I mean, the entertainment community has really stepped up to get not only themselves, but the community at large through it with a lot of great streaming on Instagram Live and Facebook and really keeping the connection out there. I told you that I've been crazy as heck talking to people here, doing like 15 interviews a week here. Um, But it's really nice the way everyone has stepped up to keep that sense of community going when we need it now more than ever. And we've always been able to look to the entertainment community to do that. And it's so, so sweet to see that happening. Yeah. And, you know, like watching Lady Gaga and what she was able to put together. And and when you see these artists in their homes and each of those songs were so beautiful. And, um, yeah, I think it's, you know, some people, you know, have said, oh, you know, why are we all doing this? But I think it's a way to keep our creativity alive and also to have some diversion. You know, otherwise, I just sit here and watch you know, MSNBC all day, and that can be very <laughs> difficult. Right. Well, that's why, I, that's why I'm never worried about you, my friend, because as I said, that uh, carpeting, some of those famous carpeting in L.A., and you're saying <laughs> you can stream your stuff all day long there, the people you can get to come talk there. So I'm not worried about you at all. And speaking of streaming, well, you kind of kept let, yourself uh, busy with this. Go ahead. Yeah, I didn't even let... Uh, you know, I have these readings in my living room, and I've had some amazing people in there, uh, whether it's a play I wrote and want to hear or a play I want to revive. And I I couldn't wait any longer and kind of use the experience that we're all locked away. Favorite uh, actors, uh, Sherry Shepard and Kim Whitley, to read a play I saw a billion years ago uh, called A Couple of White Chicks Sitting Around Talking. And I had this crazy idea, what if we just put an X over, put an X over the white? And it was a pretty big play in the 80, early 80s. Susan Sarandon and Eileen Brennan from Private Benjamin had starred in it. And it ran and played everywhere. And so many great actors came into the show. And it's a one-set, two-character play. And um, I've just, I just wanted to hear it with them. And I've been bugging them for four years to do it. And they've been so busy running around. They they do a lot of tours um, in their stand up, and they do a lot of TV shows. And I finally right. nabbed them, and we read Act we read Act One uh, <clears throat> two weeks ago, and it was fantastic. And they're so funny together. And I would just love to figure out a way to bring it either a tour or off Broadway. I think people would love to see them live on stage in this very funny. Uh, and it was an important play of of its day. That would be amazing. Well, we'll look for the stream on that. And you've been streaming a lot yourself, talking to people. I mean, you were out with your Stars Hollow friends. You were doing some Golden Girls stuff online with Frank and uh, Alaska Thunder and uh, Jim the other day. How, yeah, are you, we, we raised, how are you liking this whole streaming stuff? Are you adapting to it well? Um, yes. And, you know, tell me when it's too much and I'll just shut up. Um <laughs> Um, I've even done it with my acting classes. I've done it with, um, like I got the Anne Frank cast together and we had a tequila Tuesday 
And uh, it is it, just a good way to connect with people you love and to remind them, you know, that we all care about each other. And, you know, when you do a play, you create these little families. And so we care about each other like a family. And especially something like right. with Anne Frank, we've been we've been together for two years doing this play, you know, from Hollywood to Beverly Hills to Vancouver and, you know, and so it's been very intense and it was great to just see people. And one of our actors is in Spain now. He got stuck over there. He was visiting his mother and then got quarantined and he was supposed to be back by now. Yeah. So, you know, at first it was, you know, what is this whole Zoom thing? And, um, you know, you know, now I've learned to like eat a little bit before you, you know, be sipping your rosé all through the Zoom. And um, so you have a little (laughs) food in your (laughs) Zoom. But it is, um, it is nice to see people. Yeah, definitely. I think that's, that's one of the best things is having that connection. Very, very cool. We got, we're running out of time. I want to finish up and talk about this, uh, book proposal you're putting together and working on during quarantine. The title writes itself, basically. How is that project coming along? And share with my listeners about that. Well, it's called The Girls from Golden to Gilmore, and it's stories about all the wonderful women I've worked with, and Roseanne, and I thought I was going to write the proposal while I was on the cruise because I – I didn't have that many activities I had to do on the cruise. I had a panel and judge a costume contest, but it was so great meeting people that I just didn't have time. Unfortunately, the good and the bad is that now I did have time. And when I got home, I actually did finish the proposal and I have a new manager and she's very excited and we're sending it out to publishers now. And um, it was great to be able to get, you know, how I wanted the book to be laid out. And uh, but even if I don't find a publisher, I'm going to self-publish it. If for some reason I don't find somebody, and um, well, they would be silly to pass on that, my friend. You're going to get gobbled up in a second. I hope so, because it would be nice to just have like a big company behind it, so that they could get me out on the road, and and it'd be great to meet people and be able to share the stories of um, you know what my experience was working with so many great women while they were, you know, pioneers. I mean, the fact, you know, that as a mere child, I was, you know, getting to watch, you know, B. Arthur <laughs> and Betty White and Rue McClanahan and Spaghetti, you know, saying my words was pretty crazy. I'm telling you, I love all the people you've worked with. Every once in a while, you'll just name drop something, which you don't name drop. You just talk about the experience. And I just, my jaw drops on that. I mean, I would love to see a, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha chapter and have you talk about Betty Thomas and her directing. And there's so many things you can talk about. Unbelievable. I I go through, I go through the whole thing, how Shelley Long got cast, all the parts about that, how I came up with the idea of casting RuPaul, um, although he's technically a woman, but in that role of Miss Cummings, uh, I get into all the stuff on Gilmore Girls and everything in between. Did I send that meme to you? About Ru- uh, RuPaul and Jan? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. From it's hilarious. Pool. I love it. It's like my friend sent that to me the other day. I said, I got to send this to Stan. It's like chose the picture of Ru and the girl, the actress played Jan at the table and says the last, it was done after Drag Race when Jan got eliminated from Drag Race this last Friday. It says the last time that RuPaul was a fan of Jan. <laughs> it's just hilarious. <laughs> 
I loved it. Well, so, he was, and it he shows was, your, was, your scene from the movie. It's funny. Yeah, he was so great. And then when we went to do the sequel, I'm thinking it takes place in the summer. How are we going to get her guidance counselor in there? In there? And right away, I don't know what hit me in my head. I just said, what if she had three daughters? And then I just like spurted out, Moesha, Moesha, Moesha. And it was like, done. It's in there. Even before we kind of knew the plot of the movie, we knew we, we had to get RuPaul in for that joke. So, And luckily it stayed Amazing. in. Amazing. Well, I can't wait for this book. You're going to have to sneak me a sample chapter sometime. We're running out of time here, my friend. Thanks so much for taking the time. I know this is quarantine city and you've been dealing a lot with your mom and writing, but you're always so busy. But thanks for taking the time out, my friend. It's always great to talk to you. Well, anytime, my friend, and send my love to your mom, and I hope to see you soon, and I hope to see everybody soon. I will do that, and we are going to have a long, extended hug. We haven't got to see each other since uh, Palm Springs last year. So before we go, let everyone know your website one more time and your social media. Uh, It's all Zimmerman Stan, so you just flip the name, and uh, there you'll find me. There you go. Love talking to you, my friend. Stay well. I'm glad mom you is recovering too. well. Stay on the line stay for home me, Stan. And stay guys, we're going to play out. Exactly. Stay on the line for me, Stan. We're going to go ahead and play out here. We'll be back in a little bit. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. both on the phone interviews and in person down in Palm Springs. He's a fantastic actor, a great writer, and just an all-around really nice guy. He has the looks to draw you in, the talent to make you want more, and he seems to be on every national commercial I see every time I turn around lately. Please welcome back (laughs) to the show, the handsome, the talented Mr. Fernando Rivera. Hey there, buddy. How you doing? Hey, Scott. I mean, you just completely perked up my sheltering in place with all those compliments. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> you deserve every one of them. How are you surviving Corona 2020? Um, I'm, of course, a stalker on social media. I see you got the gym working in the garage now. Are you able to keep yourself healthy and sane out there? I mean, it is, you know, barring everything going on in the world, in my own little world, and with my, you know, one-bedroom apartment and my one-car garage, I'm doing pretty good. Um, I have definitely diverted my funds that I'm not spending on a gym membership towards building a modicum of a gym in my own uh, place. And, hey, it, it's been servicing me well. You know, I, I've, I, there's very little I can do, but I can do it in many different ways. So I'm excited about that, at least. There you go. Well, I'm glad you're powering through. I mean, your social media is fun. Well, I remember you binge-watching some shows. that What's that one love show? It was cracking me up watching oh, you watch a show. I mean, how I funny was that? I could not with 
with Love is Blind, I was just, like, on the edge of my – and here's the thing. I hate – when people talk so much about a show, I hate it. I'm just like, no, like, it's, it's popular. <laughs> I'm going to not like it. And then, of course, you run out of things to watch, and so you start watching, and then you just realize, oh, God, I'm sucked in. Uh, and that's kind of what happened with Love is Blind. And um, I've been trying to uh, not do that with other shows, but, like, Tiger King, I just got finished binging that, and that was another complete just mind, you know, mind F-U-C, you later – um, but yeah, it was, it's been good. I mean, Netflix has been very good to me so far. There you go. I don't know if I'm ready to see the, uh, the, the lost episode or the extra episode for Tiger King. I barely made it through the first eight episodes. That is I know, a and it's like 40 train wreck you can't turn or... away from, right? Oh my God. I, and every, like the end of every episode, you're just like, wait a minute. I did not see this coming at all. Wait, we didn't even talk about this. And then it just you know, completely starts you to get hooked for the next one. It's, it's, it's good. It's good TV. It's good directing. It's good TV. It, it is. I mean, the last two episodes, it's like, are you kidding me? I don't even understand where, where this guy came from. We saw him for two seconds in like episode three. And now he's the big bad yeah. guy in Foreman or something. And I kept reading memes about Carol Baskin, Carol Baskin. I'm like, who is this Carol Baskin? And I watch and I'm like, Oh, she's a tough bitch. You got to watch out for her. Because she will, she will kill you with the most kindness you've ever felt in your life. And it's so, it's so creepy because it's like she is really doing good as a, as a guy that likes Animal Conservatory. I, I, I applaud her for what she's doing, but it's like she seems the way she was kind of ripping off her employees a bit and things like this. It's like I don't know if, if you're supposed to be a villain or not, but you're getting really. Oh yeah. To me. It was hard. It's just too calm. I, I was conflicted. I'm like, Ooh, yeah, it's like I would never – I do not trust somebody who speaks too calmly because that is that – I need you to show me your ugly side, and then I'll trust you. Um, <laughs> so it's, it, it was a nice, fun ride. But what are you watching? Well, how are you passing? I mean, you're, you're, you're busy. You're constantly interviewing people. I'm on busy the doing a lot of you're interviews, but I do, I do like a little binge, my friend. I'm a superhero kind of geek and nerd. I don't know if you've okay. seen it yet. Have you seen The Boys yet on Amazon? Uh, I saw maybe the first two episodes months ago when it first came out, and I kept meaning to get back to it, but I didn't because I was watching it with a group, and I kept thinking, oh, the group, we'll watch it as a group, but we never did, so I've kind of fallen off. I have to get back to it, but I loved it. It was good. It is the craziest anti-superhero series I've ever seen. All the superheroes are kind of bad guys a little bit, and uh, it's just really wild. I thought it was – I, I fell in love with it. It's like it's eight, only, I think, eight or ten episodes. They have a second season going to drop at the end of this month. Um, that Chance or Chase Crawford guy from Gossip Girl has mm-hmm. totally redone his whole body and look and everything, and he looks amazing. And then just the storylines themselves are fascinating. So I saw that. and then, Well, then you would like I'm Not Okay With It. I haven't heard of that. What is that? Oh, yeah. It's like it's right there in the superhero world. Um, it's kind of, you know, like the boys, and, and, but the lead character is uh, it's a, a female, a girl who's in, in uh, I think she's in high school. And it's that same thing where it's like you have real people, real flawed people with very strong um, abilities. And, you know, it's, it's, I'm not familiar. It's a based off a comic. I'm not too familiar with it, but it's right in the superhero world. I'm not okay with it. That is going to go on my list, my friend. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of great content out there. I mean, between it, right now, really, honestly, I've been doing so much streaming. There's so many great um, streaming things going on right now. We got Broadway doing a lot of streaming stuff. We have 
um, television actors doing a lot of streaming stuff. Um, we got fitness people doing streaming stuff. Um, yeah. It's just there's there's great content. What do you think is going to happen to the nature of the entertainment business? I just see this as a huge monumental shift that I don't even know how it's going to play out yet. Have you been thinking about well, that I mean, at all? I constantly. It, it, it was even before this all worked out. You know, it was getting more um, more segmented in terms of who's producing what and. You know, the big studios are kind of becoming a little, um, I guess, irrelevant when it comes to making content that can reach wide audiences because we have streaming services that can reach anyone. Um, and, you know, it's like when you look at what's going on on TV, some of the shows, like Saturday Night Live, for instance, you know, they had to do everything webcam style and, and kind of influencer style. And, I mean, the talent is still there, but without everything to dress it up, they're at a huge disadvantage that they weren't at before, which takes them getting used to. But then you have these, you know, YouTubers who, I mean, I'm not big into YouTube celebrities or YouTube stars. It's kind of not my world. I do stuff just to mess around, but, like, I'm not, you know, trying to have an ongoing show or anything. But those right. people kind of have an advantage because they've been doing it for, you know, so many years without the frills and have kind of made their own frills. So it's kind of weird to see right. how this is a good equalizer of production value um, because clearly – you know, the majority of stuff we see out there, you know, me as, a, as an actor and a writer, of course, talking about totally separate projects, I see things and I'm like, this is great because you have a million, $2 million budget per episode. This would not fly if you were going based off of, you know, raw um, talent behind the materials that are putting it together. No, very true. And I guess, and we'll, we'll talk about the, your writing in the books a little bit, but you did kind of foray into podcasting, talking about your book, and I loved the name of it, Blood, Sweat, and Silver. Talk about oh, yeah. that. Was, that. was that a good kind of getting your toe dip, uh, getting your toes dipped in the waters of creating your own content like that, or how was that experience for you? Well, I mean, it really was because, I mean, I, I will also hand it to you. It is not easy to have, you know, the materials together to put a successful podcast um, together because it's, it's, if you wanted to have that quality, it's expensive to get, you know, to get the equipment and the mixers and to make sure that everybody is mic and stuff. Um, so I kind of did that one because I feel like, you know, everyone should take a stab at a podcast, whether you actually get it past writing down ideas on a page to having a full fledged show like you do, you should try to at least do it because we have the means to do it. And right. I initially did it because I had been getting so many questions over the years um, as to how I self-published. And you have people who literally are like, oh, yeah, just text me how to self-publish. It's like, uh, no, that's not, there's a process <laughs> to it. So that's why exactly. I first started it with, well, I want to tell people step-by-step step how I did it. Again, this was back in 2017, uh, or 2016, you know, the steps that I took. And, of course, it evolves at a breakneck speed. So, you can take what you want from those episodes and piece it together to see how the atmosphere is like now. But then after that episode was done, then I got into, you know, the themes behind the book and, and what went into the ideas and reconciling my own, you know, connection or disconnection to the material, but how to still stay true to the characters and what they were going through. So it kind of was, was more like a dive into the elements of the book, but a lot of it was just right. because, you know, people think that it's just, this amazing, like, oh, I'm just going to wake up and do this. Like, no, it takes years to do. And here's proof it takes years to do. Um, so take that information and create something, and I want to see it in two years, three years, five years. Very, very cool. I like that a lot. Podcasts are an interesting animal because, like you said, you everyone should, I think, try one. I think depend. there's a lot 
the big thing right now is true crime. Those are blowing up like crazy. I think they're 40 of the top 50 podcasts. Oh, yeah. True crime right Stranglers. now. Woof. Yeah, exactly. So it's very interesting to do, but you're right. It is a lot of work. As I was saying, I have like 20 interviews going on right now because everyone's out of work right now or just trying to do their own thing. But uh, it, it's not quite as simple as it looks. But I'm, I'm impressed that you did the whole nine yards with the being, – being in Northeast Ohio, it's not the entertainment mecca of the world, which is where my <laughs> no, podcast focuses. So it has to be done by phone, and it's, we don't always get the best quality, but we get the best guests is what I like to say. So but I appreciate you coming so on. Much, oh, thank you. Well, thanks for having me. And I was going to say it's ironic because so much content or stories take place Ohio because it's kind of, you know, it's it's the the signatory middle of nowhere kind of place. So even exactly, though nothing is right. really there, all these horror movies are like somewhere in Ohio where it's snowing and you can't reach the neighbor for another 30 <laughs> minutes. The killer is going to get you. No, very much Ohio is big. So you get everyone uh, has some kind of a place in Ohio and. A lot of horror films are, are are actually filmed here now because of all the old steel mills and everything. There's lots of great locations yeah. in and around the cool. area here because everything is shut down and old and rusty, so it looks kind of cool and scary. What's funny is one of the first features that I wrote, is, um, it's a clown like slasher horror movie that's kind of like an homage to Clown House and Halloween. It I've, I've had it take place in Canton, Ohio, because I... I, I the time or a couple of years before that, I dated somebody who was from Ohio and I was just like, what city in Ohio is not very well known, but you know, <laughs> but people would get it. And I, you know, just chose Canton. Sure. Why not? So it's kind of, it lends to that atmosphere. That is very cool. Yeah. Canton's only known for the football hall of fame. Other than that, you would have no idea unless you're a football fan. You have no idea. <laughs> yeah, what that's that. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Very cool. I want to get back to your book though. I mean, we've, talked about the after living um we've got a couple of great interviews on it and those people that want to learn a little more about it please go check out the love the straight show archives but the thing i like the best about it is not only your character development which is amazing but your scenery and your backgrounds and your your how you're able to paint a picture of where the characters are at and you got to travel back to europe again recently did that give you a a lot more inspiration for following books or tell me about that trip. How did that go? Well, I mean, for the purpose of, uh, you know, tax exemption, of course it did. Um, but no, <laughs> I, I, I actually did go back to, uh, I went back to London and uh, just kind of got a feel for the areas a little bit more because, you know, before you're kind of just taking in as much as you can and seeing what sticks when you finally get back to your computer. But this time, you know, I had been to a lot of places. I knew, um, where I wanted to take some of book two to. So I paid a little bit extra attention to, you know, things like um, uh, like the, the, the Abbey and stuff, it, it, Westminster Abbey. Uh, and I did travel to uh, Scotland and had a blast in um, uh, Dalkeith, which is right outside of Edinburgh. Um, so I'm, one of the characters was from Scotland. And so I kind of want to, you know, give a little shout out to Dalkeith. Uh, so it was, it was cool. It was, it's nice to not be a total newbie or tourist going back to it. Um, and I also look for representation right. over there. I took two meetings with two agencies. Uh, they were very interested. The only problem is that, you know, of course, the whole visa paperwork is a nightmare and you kind of have to get work to get a visa, but you need a visa to get work. So it's that whole cast 22. 
Um, but gotcha. I, I definitely would love to take some career opportunities over there should they arise. They, ha- they do some amazing work over there. I mean, it's very uh, – it's. I guess it helps that it's funded a lot of places by the government, even though there's a lot of private mm-hmm. um, filming as well. But it just gives some opportunity for some great exposure and – you can't beat the sets and everything over there. It's pretty exciting stuff. My mom loves anything English, British. She subscribed that Brit box for all the shows and everything. She loves it. Oh, My yeah. My mom lived in England for about, I think she lived there for like 12 months, 14 months, lived in London. Okay. And so she loves everything to do about that. Well, I don't know about you, but I uh, discovered something called Acorn TV, which is pretty much where you can get all of the, like, the British um, shows here in America. Right. It's kind of like yeah. a version of it's, – it's a streaming platform. And I fell in love with uh, Agatha, uh, Agatha Raisin, which is like this sleuthy, kind of like Agatha Christie-ish. Um, she's this woman. She's played by Ashley Benson, who's a very you know notable actress um, over there. And she's Scottish, and it's just like so much fun to be in like the – the high class society and solving murders as you're baking a quiche for the, you know, the church competition. It's like, it's, it's really cool stuff, but I, I really enjoy British television too. Nice. And I don't know if it's on acorn or if it's on, or if it's on prime, but there's another one set in Australia too, that uh, is uh, this God, what's her name? I know her, her first name's Franny, but she's like a wannabe detective and it's a great, the, it's set in the twenties and the costumes and the cars and everything. Just gorgeous to see some of the period pieces done there. I love that stuff. Let's talk for a second. I want to go into, we talked a little bit about, it teased you about your commercials because you, I told you last couple of times we talked that your McDonald's commercial was going on forever in Ohio here. Like every other day we'd see (laughs) on the McDonald's commercial, which was a lot of fun. But now you and actually you're partnered with Trevor LaPaglia, who's a good friend of the show. He's been on the show a couple of times. Talk about this latest commercial. I love it because it's for prep. But talk about this for a second. Well, I mean, that was one of those happy accidents. I always kind of roll my eyes whenever I hear somebody say like, oh, yeah, you know, like I just, they just called me the next day and I came in and I shot it. I'm just like, whatever, screw you. Like that look doesn't happen. Uh, But that's actually what happened to me with this commercial. Uh, Months before I went, you know, I I shot it and got the wonderful news. um, I, they were looking for, you know, real same-sex couples, um, which a lot of commercials will do that, you know, before they start casting outside of, outside of that to see, you know, because sometimes if you have a, a, a real couple and both need to deliver lines, maybe one's an actor, maybe one's not. And so it kind of gets a little awkward right. and it's expensive if you have to work around it. So for this um, thing, my agency happens to rep one of my best friends and myself commercially. And we're both Latino. He is uh, Venezuelan, but he's like ginger and, you know, pale with freckles. And of course I'm Mexican and I'm, <laughs> I have a little bit more darker features. So, he got the audition notification and he took me in um, for, you know, to be his, his partner, his boyfriend. And we're, we've been best friends for so many years. So it's, we're practically our boyfriends. And um, I ended up getting the callback, which was just one of those awkward moments where it's like, okay, well, I guess I got it. Um, so I get the callback and then I have, you know, I go in and I, I do the same thing, um, reading the copy and then just kind of let it go. Never heard back. Weeks go by. Uh, and then I get a call from uh, my agency, and they're just pretty much telling me, like, you know, sign this paperwork just in case they might need you. you know, they're on hold for you to come on set tomorrow. 
And I was like, oh, shoot, okay. <laughs> so I signed it all, send it in, and then sure enough, you know, the next day they're just like, okay, we need you on set, you know, come in. So I, I go in and um, there was, I think there was some kind of scheduling conflict with the actor before, so they had to recast. And so I, you know, went in on the second day, uh, met Trevor, and I had seen him around town, you know, even at auditions because you just, it's such a small town, especially if you're in the industry. Um, and going out right. to the bars, you know, I've went to, been to his bar several times. So I met him officially, um, and we were just kind of reading copy and then relaxing and just seeing what they wanted um, in this giant airplane hangar uh, where they had the green screen and, and the, um, the dock built on set. And so that all went down, and I had to record some other voiceover stuff on the side, you know, said goodbye, whatever. And then it never came out. And so several weeks later, they call back and they say, oh, we forgot a couple of things. We need to shoot again. I was like, oh, crap, which worked out well because this was three days before I was leaving to Europe for the next three and a half weeks. Oh, wow. So okay. I just got in under the wire. I, you know, I had to get my hair cut all over again and kind of match my looks from the previous shoot um, and recorded the new copy. And then, you know, a month and a half later, it started airing. So it was just like one of those things where it took a lot to actually get that commercial, you know, on, which I'm grateful for. And luckily it's been kind of, I've been joking, it's kind of my, my Corona virus insurance because of course you shoot a commercial, you don't get paid until months after. And, you know, luckily that month after has been timed with now being laid off and not being able to audition for, you know, who knows because of the current right. conditions uh, with the coronavirus. That that's very fortuitous, and it's a great commercial. I like the diversity in it. Um, for it's for a prep type drug, and we won't even name it here. But um, I just like that there's a lot of diversity to it. And like I said, you and Trevor work great together. The chemistry is good. Trevor, like I said, is a he's a Buffalo boy. He's not too far from here, up in New York, about three hours away. And uh, yeah. we've got a couple of conversations in the past, so that's very and cool. Trevor's got some kind of, stuff in the cans that he's filming and shooting. And um, so like he's, you know, he was really busy when we were talking on set. Um, happy that he's been able to, you know, move his projects along too, because whenever you find somebody who is actually doing stuff and getting stuff out there, it's like, you know, round of applause because a lot of people say it, but not a lot of people do it. True. Very true. I mean, it, it, it is tough out there when, the, when the work is good. And now when you're everything starting back up again from scratch or a slow grind, it's going to be even a little more difficult. So it's great when you have, those projects in the can, or you have a good um, network to work from there. I mean, you've been doing this a long time now. How do you, how do you feel? Do you feel comfortable in the networks that you've created and you're getting out there a lot, at least getting uh, to audition for a lot of things? Or how, where do you feel like you fit in the cog of things right now? Well, I have to tell you, because every year you kind of become more in touch with the people that you need to get to know. So, mm -hmm. you know, when I'm first here, it's like, oh, like, I need to know reps so I can get reps. And then it's like, okay, great. Like, I've, I've kind of met reps. I need to know um, CDs so I can get into audition. And then you kind of meet them. And you're like, crap, I have to know VPs of casting because they're going to approve what the CDs want. And then you're like, oh, crap, I have to know the EPs and the heads of studios because they approve who the VPs approve of. So it's just there's this constant hierarchy of people that you have to get to know. And once right. you kind of like think you're good and you've mastered the network of, of people at, at a certain level, you realize there's a whole other level that you have to, you know, get acquainted with. So, but it's good because along the way, you know, you meet um, people like 
like yourself and you get to do shows like uh, Left of Straight and you also meet other writers and directors who can extend your network. And like, I'm, I'm kind of working on meeting more writers and directors because I know a lot of actors and I know that if I wanted to shoot something or, or if I wanted to have a table read, I have access to amazing talent that would do it just because they want to have fun and play. But now it's like, because I'm writing so much, I want to meet writers and directors to see who other people that I can collaborate with. And so there's really is no end to who you need to know to make it. And right. the higher your ambitions get, the more your Rolodex changes of people that you need to start to, to I guess, accept into your network and try to join their network. So it's a lot. Like it's, there you go. It's talent, talent will keep you in the door, you know, but you need connection to help even just answer it. I love that. And, and thanks for the kind words, but you are such a great actor. I mean, it's, it's fun to watch you in your roles because you really do inherit the role itself. And I see you, doing when you you prepare for a role you're consummate in that um do you still take classes do you think are you kind of you always seem like you're trying to learn something i love that you can see it in your eye that you want to learn the craft as much as you want to do the craft i i will say i only and thank you i i only take classes if my close friends recommend them to me um because you know like you you meet a lot of talent out here and you get to know like who's kind of just doing it for social media and who's doing it because they really have a passion for it. Those people who have a passion right. for it, you know, they will know what the good classes are and the people or the instructors who aren't just trying. Cause a lot of instructors, they'll kind of make you, I've met some, not all I've met some that make you feel like you're inadequate or that you need them. And so it's kind of just like this mm, weird yeah. psychological abusive relationship where you're like, no, 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 like, I'm not at the moment because basically I'm not in the moment. So I have to take this class on how to get into the moment that they offer now. So, you know, I, I will take a class. I don't stay with the same instructor for too, too long because then you kind of just get used to that style. And so you just jump around. Exactly. Um, but right, I've taken sure. some really great people. I don't do it every month because it is expensive. Um, but when I do find somebody that my close friends recommend, I will check them out. I'll take their classes and, you know, try to apply what they offer to auditions and see what sticks. But a lot of it, you know, uh, you have it. Like, you have the talent to do a lot of the roles that you get auditions for. You just have to (laughs) get out of your way, as cliche as it sounds, Um, which (laughs) I definitely am very guilty of of doing so much. And that especially being, you know, Latino, I get a lot of roles for – um, Latino characters, and it's just like, oh, I know the kind of Latino you're looking for, and that's not me, but I'm here, so <laughs> let's see what happens, kind of a thing. Let's get into your writing, too. Like you said, you're writing a lot more now. You have this fantastic book. Um, talk about what is driving you to write right now. What is your passion um, these days? Oh, my God. I mean, one, there's just endless amounts of time. Like, for, for now, you know, there's endless amounts of time because there's not, not much to do. Um, right. But I really have just wanted to have my own little world that has a foundation of like like you were championing diversity and and just non-conventionalism. I've always wanted to have something that's already established in that, so that there's really no way to wiggle around it. Because a lot of shows get, um, you know, they get commercially washed, so that they're more. Right. available for mass consumption. And 
luckily because of streaming and, you know, going back to the whole Netflix thing, like we don't have to be so commercially acceptable because there are so many niches and so many algorithms that will help get your material to the right people. So I've always focused on, you know, bringing a lot of where I come from to my writing. And I'm very passionate about my family. I'm very passionate about religion. I don't always love the two, you know, at the same time or um, for long (laughs) stretches of time, but I still have that passion and there's, so part of my life that I just feel like, you know, it's something that universal we can all connect to. Like all of us have some kind of a connection to religion, whether it's positive or negative and to our families, you know, and to people that we've loved. And, you know, so I just try to really help see people, help people see how it's experienced and influenced my life and then kind of put it on paper. But like the idea has to speak loud enough to you that, makes you want to write about it. And with me, you know, the whole fantasy realm and like the whole vampires and, and comical, but yet twisted family dynamics, like that really speaks to me. Um, so it makes me want to, want to write more. I love that. And if there is such great hope out there, I mean, when you have niche articles like uh, one day at a time with that Latino bent now and getting picked up by other networks and you see different things kind of, coming together. I think the diversity is being honored a little more now than it has been in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, there is hope I think out there, right? I, there, there definitely is. And also, you know, there's, there's, it just depends on who's, who's the executive producer, you know, who's going to, cause really in the end, as sad as it is to say, you're going to watch what the money pays for. So whoever is bringing the bucks to, you know, the studio or to your production, you're going to see things that are more through their lens than through the original creator. So right. what do we do then? Then we have to make sure that the creators get the money, that the creators, you know, are the ones who are calling the shots because that's kind of where, you know, it's going to affect how um, shows like one day at a time come out. I mean, I, and also I love like Justina Machado. She's just, I, I saw that and I just got even more in love with her. Cause she's just one of my favorite Latina actresses out there. Uh, such a good actress. So good. And it's great to see Rita Moreno back and everything. Just the whole cast is amazing. But talk about the last project we'll talk about, then we'll kind of go into a couple other things here. But I want to talk about where Monster hides a bit because I just love, love, I love that kind of genre. Talk about how that project came about. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was, I don't know if I talked about it uh, when I I was with you last, but um, so where Monster hides, that came out of, really a, a love that I have for horror movies, The Shining in particular. Um, and there's a, a particular scene in The Shining where, you know, the shower lady is kind of all sexy and then you pull back the curtain and it's like this ugly monster. Um, so that was kind of the idea that made me want to write Where Monster Hides, that whole idea of just isolation. And really, I mean, that's really what the scariest part of everything is, is just isolation because you have no one to help you and you don't know if you're tricking yourself or if there really is somebody out to get you. Um, right. so that, that came about, uh, it was a really quick write and I filmed it a short film in my apartment, you know, for a thousand dollar budget, tried to pay as many people as I could to work on it. Skeleton crew got that out. It won in several, um, several festivals two abroad, uh, and two domestically. Um, I got distribution for that through some, um, platforms, again, horror streaming platforms, which is really cool. And I always wanted to uh, adapt it to a feature film. And so luckily in the last several months, I've been able to do that. And so the feature film, of course, is 
about, you know, kind of has the same elements of where Monster High is with the book and the monster and the kid. But, um, you know, the kid is all grown up now and he's a father. And so it's really, he's kind of passing on his fear of the monster to his child unwittingly because he's using, mm. I don't know if you're familiar with who the, um, the Kukui is, but he's like the Mexican boogeyman. And I yeah, mean, he's uh-huh. in, in Latin cultures, he's called the Cuco, the Cucuy, the, you know, depending on which culture is specific to you. And in, in Mexican right. culture, he's called the Cucuy. And so we say, you know, to kids, well, if you don't do this, the Cucuy is going to get you. And so, of course, the kid just like flips out, does what he needs to do, and your parenting job is done. And so that's kind of what happens in this book in that this, you know, young father is kind of at its wit's end with his kid trying to curb his behavior and so he tells his kid, you know, if you don't do this, the kukui is going to get you. And he actually starts to see the kukui before his kid does because he kind of reenacts that part of him that was scared of it. And so it's kind of like a, you know, a hysteria that gets unleashed in his family. And he has to conquer his own insecurities and his own fears in order to, um, to help it go away. And he can only do that with his kid because his kid, in essence, is kind of like a manifestation of his insecurities when he was a child. So it's just that whole idea of passing down tradition, but that tradition can also be an insecurity and it can also be machismo and it can also be, you know, homophobia. And that's kind of where the, the short film unravels into a feature film, which I'm going to start pushing around to other, uh, to, um, other directors and producers and see what happens there. That is amazing. Very, very cool. I like that. Good yeah. luck on that. And there's definitely, thank you. And there's like a huge LGBT, I mean, it's all about, you know, LGBT, um, the culture and the homophobia and the, you know, heteronormative ideas and stuff like that. So that's kind of where I'm, I'm putting my own, I guess. And it's a big Mexican family, so. Well, let's talk about some, some future projects here. We'll wrap this up. I want to talk about you started a little clothing line last year with Amanda Chaparro, Iron Faith, that kind of combines a lot of your personality as well. Um, it looks like that's going to be starting up again. Talk a little bit about that. Well, I was dead set on, you know, ramping up production for new material for Iron Faith this year. And then all this stuff happened. And, of course, a lot of, you know, uh, garments and stuff have to ship from overseas. Um, right. And it kind of put a standstill on all that. So, you know, I do have some inventory that uh, I can still push, which is awesome. It's not uh, online because we don't have a complete size run. So I don't want to, you know, have this wonderful website and then you can only click two or three items within uh, a product line. Right. So, right. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm waiting to see what's going to happen with, I guess, the, the whole situation of, of small businesses and fees and, you know, production, because I, what I'm going to do this time around is I'm going to print the stuff myself to help with cost control and also to just, you know, contribute to the brand that I've, I've owned for so many years. And, but of course I can't do that in somebody else's studio because of social distancing and, you know, it's not an essential business, of course, not yeah. open. And I can only remind everyone the concept behind it. I like the concept behind the whole brand. Talk about that for a second. Yeah, well, it's really easy to picture. So uh, the logo for the brand is looks like the um, the table of element for iron. So it's a square, and inside the square is a capital F and a lowercase e, which, of course, F-E is the chemical symbol for iron, um, which is where the iron comes from in the brand. But in Spanish, faith uh, is pronounced fe, so it's spelled F-E. So F-E, of course, is a chemical symbol for iron. It's also the Spanish word for faith. 
And so that's where right. IRA comes from. Um, and it has no religious affiliation just because, you know, as I've already talked about, everybody has an experience with religion, positive or negative. Um, so I exactly, don't want right. in any way to just be like, this is for Jesus and you better wear it for Jesus. So <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, whatever faith is to you, you know, um, we respect it. And all faith is, is an unyielding belief in something that you cannot prove. And that's right. as far and as I just like the combining of the culture, the culture and, and the workout. I think that was, that was, I thought significant. And that was very cool. Yeah. Nice, you want something nice. that, you know, your people can you know, give a little wink, wink to, and, and it can there be like go. their own, you know, little thing. Oh, and I wanted to talk about um, one of your new projects, come in i've talked with recently with michael Verratti that's done so many great lgbt horror type things talk about this project for a second if you can fernando oh yeah um so come in was this really fun project that two of my close friends uh uh, tim murdoch and matt emmert they're both um uh, co-producers matt directed it and they both uh, star in it uh, it's a, you know, really fun gay slasher that kind of is a cautionary tale about hooking up uh, on the apps anonymously because you kind of never know, you know, what's on the other end of the app. So it's really fun to just right. like, be thrown in and, you know, play your typical just, I guess, hornball craze gay <laughs> 20-something. Um, so that was a lot, a lot of fun. And it's been – it's gotten received by so many uh, horror and LGBT festivals. Um, so it's kind of exciting that it's still – it was made about a year ago and it's still kind of in the runnings and being passed around. And it's, it's a lot of fun. Very cool. Congratulations on that. It sounds fun. Where can we find that? Just, it, is it streaming anywhere right now or it's just still making the rounds? No, well, it's, the, it's uh, festivals. Yeah, it's, it's not because it's still in the festivals. I actually was, uh, was talking with one of the producers with Tim um, the other day, you know, if I can point people to, to, to watch it, but he's like, no, it's still in festivals. So, you know, fingers crossed they get uh, more good news to come. Very, very cool. We'll definitely have to be on the lookout for that, for sure. Any other projects you want to talk about, my friend, before we start wrapping things up here? Well, I am working on book two, which should be released this year. Um, I'm hoping my editor takes Yay. me back because she's a great editor, and I'd love to work with her again. Um, and uh, I have submitted some um, one of my pilots to The Blacklist, which The Blacklist is this uh, forum on, on in the writing world that – you know, producers and directors and studios go to when they want new material. Uh, there's a, right. um, a Latinx pilot contest, and the pilot is, for those who don't know, a pilot is the first episode of a series. So whenever you say someone here and actor say, oh, it's pilot season, it means they're casting for, you know, the first episodes and all these new series that they're going to pitch to be picked up for the next TV lineup. So um, I submitted one of my original ideas uh, to the blacklist, which will be considered um, under the Latinx pilot, I guess, competition. Uh, and again, trying to see who I can get to uh, to read my War Monster Hides feature, which is just called the Kukui. Um, and that's pretty much what's going on with the projects that I'm doing. I mean, I can't really film anything um, because studios are shut down. But hopefully, when that all gets ramped up, there will be just sh- a shower of auditions that I just cannot get to. There in, you go. Time. Uh, but that's what's going on for me. What about you? Like I said, just kind of doing lots of talking here, uh, lots of interviews, and just really trying to get the word out of all these great people that are going to be looking to ramp things up again once we get out of uh, Corona 2020 here. Um, I'm going to hopefully go back to Palm Springs. We're still not sure about that because 
the resorts that you've been to, they're, they're not even open again until June 10th. Mm. So we're trying to see if that's yeah. going to work out. Um, I've had a great time there the last two years. Uh, I think our Marco Polo almost all got us in trouble last year, but that was <laughs> yes, good. Yes. Who knew people like to sleep a lot of fun at resorts at pool till two in yeah. the morning or so, but it was it was good. There might have been a little alcohol involved, but who's saying, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, Not and before you, I forget, because I'm, I'm, I'm so bad at this, but before I forget, so the project that we've been talking about, um, my book, The After Living, which is based on the idea Jesus Christ was the first vampire. You heard it right. Um, you can get that on Amazon. Just search The After Living. I read, um, I narrate the audiobook, which is on Audible, and it's available in paperback and, you know, uh, ebook. And the short film that we've been referencing, Where Monster Hides, you can go on YouTube, Where Monster Hides um, search bar, or just wheremonsterhides.com. It'll take you to my website just before. I there forget. you go. You got all my final questions in there, but everything except for the social media, you got everything we're going to try to discuss there. Let everyone know where they can follow you, my friend. Oh yeah. I mean, if you want to get the most obnoxious, you know, uh, uh, comments <laughs> on whatever's on Netflix, go to at Rivera Fernando C as in Catherine on Instagram. So Rivera Fernando C and why I said Catherine, I don't know, but that just came to mind because I'm being laughed at right now. So. <laughs> well, Fernando Rivera, you know you're a pleasure. I love being able to see you in person when we can and talk whenever we can on the phone. I love watching you on the screen. I love reading your books. I can't wait to the sequel to The After Living comes out. Hope you and your man have a wonderful rest of quarantine and uh, get Thank that you. Uh, garage into ship shape, huh? I will. I will. Oh, and uh, one last thing. Um, the podcast, if you want to, you know, if you want to know how to publish your own book, it's Blood, Sweat, and Silver, the podcast on iTunes and whatever platform you use. Very, very well. Well, stay on the line for me, Fernando. We're going to do a special five questions with Fernando. Be sure to look for that for a little bonus content. And we'll be back in this little bit. Thanks for listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network.
righty, guys and gals, we are back. That was Perfect Sunday by our buddy Nick Hayward. Uh, we're filming, we're taping this on Friday, guys, and I need a perfect Sunday. We're at 39 degrees and snow here in Northeast Ohio, so we're supposed to get back in the 50s and 60s on Sunday. I am hoping for a perfect Sunday. But I do have a perfect guest coming on right now. I'm so excited. He's the very first time to have him here. He's a professor, speaker, and expert in travel and tourism with a major emphasis on inclusive hospitality and our LGBTQ community. He's worked as an adjunct instructor at NYU Tisch School of Hospitality. He's author of the LGBT Handbook of LGBT Tourism and Marketing. He's been a guest lecturer at Temple University School of Sport, Tourism, and Hospitality Management. I'm excited to talk to him, even though we're in the middle of Corona 2020, and see how that's working out. Please welcome the first time, Mr. Ed Salvato. Ed, how are we doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Thank you for that wonderful intro. I'm like, who's that awesome person? <laughs> you are that awesome person. Live I love your it. Truth, Thank my you. friend. You are pretty cool. <laughs> Thank it's you. I great appreciate it. I love you. what you do, too. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. I'm glad to connect. We connected over the LinkedIn network, and I just loved what you do. Um, I think it's a great part of inclusivity and some tips that people need uh, when traveling out there. There's uh, safety issues. There's fun to the people, places people might not think of. So even though we're a little kind of tied to our couches right now, we eventually will get out and about again, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, that's innate to us. I, I, I sometimes almost like sort of partially joke that, you know, where it's, it's built into the DNA of queer people because right, right back in, say, the cave person days, you know, you, you emerge from your cave thinking, oh, my gosh, there has to be someone like me, maybe on that other cave over that hill. So I think we've always yearned to travel to meet other people like ourselves. There you go. I agree with that 100%. Have you been holding up during Corona 2020? Uh, where are you holding up at? And uh, how, how are you getting along personally? Yeah, uh, yeah thanks for asking. Yeah, I, you know, surprisingly well, considering, um, I guess, in, in, what, what, we, what we call the epicenter. Um, I'm in New York City. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I've, I've been here for 17 years, a, a very long time. I definitely consider it home. I'm doing really well. I'm with my partner. You know, we're, we're unusual in that we have a, a pretty big apartment with a lot of space. I have a backyard and a balcony, and we have roof access. And we have a couple, you know, two floors, two bedrooms, two bedrooms. So we have a lot of room to spread out. So quarantine isn't, quarantining isn't so difficult for us. And, you know, I count my blessings, and there are people who don't have, the, you know, such, such um, uh, benefits, say. Um, and, you know, in New York, as it, scary as it may sound to your listeners who are in the city, you know, you really would never know this is the epicenter unless you work, you're one of our tireless, heroic healthcare workers working in a hospital or that, say you live near a hospital and had to listen to the sirens all the time. I mean, otherwise, right. most of us, it feels like a perpetual early Sunday morning in New York where everything's closed and it's, <laughs> you know, beautiful spring weather. So. It's weird. It's paradoxical. It doesn't seem that bad, but I know it is. I know it's bad in hospitals and in, you know, people's homes and people, a lot of people, it's terrible, you know. And we'll go into a little more depth about uh, different topics of travel in a bit, but talk about just relating to Corona 2020. How do you think the industry is going to bounce back? Is it going to do relatively quickly, do you think? Is it going to take a while for people to trust going out again? What are your just um, personal thoughts on it? 
Yeah, sure. You know, I, this is you know, I'm 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 no uh, expert in, in any any more than anyone else, but I I have a lot of friends who are I consider very smart people in the industry, and I've talked to I continue continually talk to these folks, and I read a lot, and I'm trying to follow the industry as closely as possible and attend as many Zoom meetings um, in in the travel and tourism space and hospitality space. So I'm seeing a lot, and you know, to be honest with you. I I am I'm, I'm somewhat pessimistic. I don't think it's going to come roaring back. I think that there's there's going to be sort of a new normal, and and we're trying to figure out how to define that. You know, if you think about what tourism and hospitality represents, you know, gatherings, large gatherings of people in in enclosed and unenclosed spaces. You know, we're talking uh, airports and airplanes and trains, you know, enclosed spaces, arenas, and um, uh, you know, venues for seeing sports and, and all sorts of things, and unenclosed, you know, Times Square and big, big parks that people want to visit. And so all those things are very scary for people to, right now to think about right. interacting and meeting, being so close. You can't socially distance yourself from someone so easily in a boarding area or in a plane. I mean, so, so I think it's going to be a little slow. And I th- until there's like a vaccine or really, really good treatment, um, I think it's going to be a little scary and little for, for most people. But certainly there are intrepid people who are itching to get, get, back, get back out there and get on a plane, myself right. being one of them. Um, but people who are, you know, in those uh, higher risk categories, they're going to be very reluctant. I think any family with children might be, and that's the, that's the backbone, not, not of gay travel, certainly, but of all travel family, you know, travel right. in the summer, that's really kind of where all the money is made for most uh, destinations. So they're going to be reluctant. I think it's, I think we're talking a couple of years slog. I think, you know, I think airlines, you know, just after 9-11, airlines reduced capacity and, and when they they became more profitable in a weird way, like, I don't want to say capitalizing, but but understanding what the new reality cost structures are. So that's why everything changed after 9-11. I think we're going to see big changes after this. I think some airlines won't exist. And I think those that do, if they have to, say, have every middle chair empty, middle seat empty in a plane, for instance, prices will just go higher. So that will inhibit people from traveling more frequently, more spontaneously. So there's a lot of ripple effects. And I'm not trying to freak people out, you know, really. But but I do think that sure. on the plus side, say, destinations are doing, like, visit Philadelphia, New York. They're doing smart things. They're talking about right now thanking their essential workers and trying to support local restaurants. And soon they'll be really talking to drive market, I think, most destinations will stop relying on, you know, visitation from China and from far-flung places and start thinking, how do we get someone to drive from New Hampshire to Philly? How do we get someone to drive from, you know, uh, Ohio to New York, say? Um, right, know, well trips, said, yeah. Uh, day trips, uh, you know, oh, oh, quick overnight, quick staycations. Those are the things that I think are going to come back first. And then international travel and those other things will come back later. So I, I'm, I'm thinking staged and longer term and you know, it's going to be a real shakeout for a lot of uh, um, people in the industry, a lot of companies in the industry, a lot of in sub-industries in the overall travel industry. Right. No, I, I agree. I think you're 100% right on that. Let's go into a little bit of your background before we go into more travel-related stuff. Talk about uh, where did you grow up and what did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> what brought you to Yeah, and, and, and how did I end up here? Um, when I was I, – I, I grew up in – the Boston area, just a few miles outside of Boston. So I, I, we were at the very last, near the very last subway stop on the uh, metro, the subway station. So as a, as a young gay kid, you know, who didn't know he was gay, who just looked for something more exciting than the suburbs that he was in. It was fun to be able to hop on the subway, going to Boston. So I, I was early, early on, I was a traveler. I've always done that sort of adventure traveling, just got on, on my own, just 
traveled around, whether it was in New York or Boston. And then later, as I got a little older and had some my own job and money in my teens, I, st- I started taking my first trips. I really got by the travel bug early. But I didn't – when I was really, really young, I wanted to be, like, an astronaut, which is probably one of the top ten things that, you know, young kids want to be. <laughs> and la- later on, though, I realized, oh, what is an astronaut but the ultimate traveler, right? So it really wasn't, wasn't far-fetched. But then, I, you know, I went to um, – I went to high school locally, big public high school. I was the only one to get into in my 750-person class to go to Harvard as an undergraduate. I was a math major. I went to um, – I worked for a few years uh, in the Boston area. I went to business school. Um, I then um, moved – I ended up moving to Paris, for living there for five years, and I did a little bit of work in, the, uh, and then I, in market research, which I studied in um, business school. And then I was – a market research for a number of years and I just hated it. I just hated, I was rising up quickly in my profession and I didn't really love it. And I thought, Oh gosh, what is it that I like to do? Oh, I'd like to travel and tell people about my trips. I mean, it was that simple and that crystal clear. And I was like, Oh, I should be a travel writer. And then one thing led to the next within a year, I became a travel writer. And then I moved to LA and took a job as an assistant editor of um, uh, out and about the first travel newsletter for gay travelers. And, and then right. that was 1998. And then that company quickly got bought up in the dot-com, you know, boom, like bought up by Planet Out, which then merged with Gay.com, which then went public. Then I ended up um, running Planet Out Travel, Gay.com Travel, and then we bought Out Traveler, the print magazine. So I, at one point, I calculated that I was running and responsible for 75% of all gay travel content that existed and I called myself wow. the gay travel uh, content oligarch. <laughs> and um, so, so it, it was really great. And, and then it all came crashing down in the big economic collapse of 2008, 2009. They got rid of the magazine, got rid of my department. And then within a year, they let me go. And then I was kind of doing consulting on my own, not sure what I wanted to do. And then I partnered with uh, my business, now former, but then just soon to be business partner, Billy Colber whom I had worked with at Out and About, and he and I launched Man About World magazine in 2012. And within a few years, we, we loved the magazine. It's great mobile, um, di- mobile digital native, app, you know, app-based magazine that was great, but we just couldn't kind of make it work for two persons' salary, three person, because we hired another person. So we ended up starting to do consulting, and then we launched this business called Hospitable Me in 2000, uh, like three years ago, four years ago. So what is it, 2016, say? And that really took off. So we were consulting, uh, marketing, consulting for tours and brands, destinations, hotels, um, tour companies, whatever, interested in diverse, as you were sort of saying in your intro, inclusive hospitality, meaning if you market to folks out there and they're queer and they come to your desk, then you've got to be training your customer-facing teams to know how to interact with them and welcome them in in order to give them the same great service you give everyone else. There's a lot to unpack there, but that's kind of the, 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 the gist of it. And we, we were going along great, and I also launched the pavilion, uh, LGBT pavilion at the New York Times Travel Show a number of years ago, and we built that into something huge. So we decided uh, to kind of go in our separate direction, directions and dissolve the business partnership but continue to collaborate. And wouldn't you know it, the day we were going to announce that March 1st, every, the, kind of the travel and tourism industry just collapsed. So we never really made any fancy announcement, but I, I was started to work on my own at that point, and um, uh, that company still is doing their thing. So I focus a little bit more on LGBTQ marketing. Um, I do kind of travel safety, the LGBT pavilion at the New York Times Travel Show, and I consent, well, I'm hoping to continue to speak uh, at public, um, you know, conventions and conferences on, 
on the topics as a paid right. professional speaker on uh, welcoming LGBTQ customers and uh, how to really properly welcome them within safely. So, so that's kind of, that brings us up right to the present. And I had, you know, I have a business plan and I was executing on it and everything seems to be going in the right direction. Now everything collapsed. I mean, there's no, there's no conferences or conventions to speak at. No destinations or hotels or anyone is doing marketing. Everyone went pretty dark. They're not, and I, I think even in with the base case scenario, things start opening up this year and next year. I don't see destinations and hotels and cruise temp, big big tours and mainstream brands first just targeting the LGBTQ market. I mean, in in some ways they should because it's a very resilient market. They'll be will we queers will be exactly out there, right. like you just said, right? We 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 love the bargains, we love value, we have disposable income, you know, dual income, no kids. That that is always true. And also, we're more spontaneous. We're more risk-averse. I'm, I'm sorry, risk-tolerant in the sense that we, we've lived through the AIDS crisis. We lived through bullying, abuse, hostility, bold eyes, you know, shrugs, mean looks, you know, all that kind of stuff. We don't get that scared. Although I think this COVID-19 is a little bit of an equal opportunity uh, um, fear-monger in a sense. You know, um, it's still, right, I think right. people will be out there quicker. And DMOs and, and brands and uh, destinations probably should think about LGBTQ people in their marketing mix again soon. I just think they're going to be on basic life support just trying to get heads in beds, right? So, so, sure. so I'm not sure what the future of my particular industry is in that sense. But all the, all the meanwhile, I, you know, I wrote a book on LGBTQ tourism. It's, a, it's a, business, a book for business, but it's also a book for educators, and it's out there in a lot of universities, and a lot of uh, master's students have used it as a resource. It's a great book, 75 case studies, you know, lots of interviews. Really, uh, we brought together the smarty, smarty pants of the, of the world in tourism, LGBTQ tourism, and interviewed them and synthesized it all. So, and nice. I hoped at the time that it could, it could open a door for me as, a, as an instructor. And I've always dreamed, of, for the past number of years, I've dreamed of being a teacher because I think, you know, hey, pay it forward, you know, time to pay it forward. And um, sure. I did start landing one off teaching um, just guest lectures at, at Temple and NYU. And I love it. I love it, loved it. And they offered me this job. So I took it this semester and it was my first ever real, you know, honest to God, 14 week grad level course. And it's not an LGBT. It's, it's in customer relationship management, but I pull in a little bit of LGBT um, in terms of loyalty and all this kind of stuff, but it's fantastic. I love it. And I feel like it's a calling. Like I really thought, wow, this is something I could conceivably do full time. Cool. Now, Taka, you've also been on um, the board of IGLTA, International Gay Lesbian yeah. Travel Association. What are the goals um, of these kind of organizations besides the marketing? Um, what all do you look at? You look at the safety of travel, or what are your what are your concerns when you're on these boards and when you're trying to um, consult with these guys? What what are your big areas of concern you're trying to get across? What are, you know, that's a really astute and you're getting right to the heart of what I consider to be the most important aspect of LGBTQ travel. It's not, you know, I always joke, it's not cocktails and upgrades. You know, when you think about gay travel, you think, you know, your friend's posting with these pictures of them having a, a cocktail and looking at an upgrade on Qantas Air and, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's, it's <laughs> great. You know, it's fun. I, right. I'm glad. Enjoy. Right. But it's really safety. That's the heart of it. And, and in fact, more so for certain of our um, brothers and sisters in our community, um, women travelers, lesbian travelers consider travel safety just as their uh, heterosexual counterparts do as the most important consideration. Will I be safe in that hotel? Are, there, are the hallways dark when I walk down? Will I be safe in that neighborhood? 
Um, will I be safe with my partner? A same a woman? Will I be harassed? You know, what kind of environment am I going into? So that's hugely important right. uh, for queer people. Say say gender non-conforming people or someone who's non-binary or uh, maybe a, a lesbian who presents in a masculine way, but she's still a lesbian and a woman. And you know what? If she uses a bathroom when she's traveling, that doesn't that people and this happens all the time. You know, a, a woman in the bathroom. A uh, cisgender woman in the bathroom saying to, you know, a, a, a lesbian, masculine presenting woman, what are you doing here, sir? You know, this kind of thing. Like it happens all the time. Or transgender people who, you know, go through uh, the security check at TSA, right? They're really concerned, uh, you know, can be very concerned about whether they'll set off that um, uh, and, and a, right. a, a gender I can't remember, anomaly. I can't remember what the um, word is, this anomaly, that they go through this, you know, X-ray machine and uh, the, the security machine and their flags, you know, hey, this is saying you should be a woman because that's what I, I see as a woman, but you know, something's coming up. It doesn't make any sense. Anyway, so so travel can be very uh, joyful for queer people, especially gay men who are just like, oh, God, don't want this. But I think it can also be stressful for people. It's just even for gay men who feel very confident, hey, my partner and I, and I get these questions all the time, whether it's on my blog or Twitter or certainly at the New York Times Travel Show. Hey, my partner and I, we're, you know, we think I'm going to Turkey and we're going to be comfortable there. You know, can we hold hands at this hotel? And, you know, the answer is so complicated and we can get into that. Right. But those are the concerns. The other concern, and that this, this has come up over the last few years, not so much before that, is, you know, um, I love this story, this question I got. This really, you know, handsome street guy comes up to me at the New York Times Travel Show. Hi, Ed, I, you know, saw you somewhere. And I want to ask you a question. My wife and I travel with our transgender daughter. She's, she's 12. She, she presents, you know, she could look, you could think of her like she looks like a boy or looks like a girl, but I'm afraid that when she becomes a little bit older, you know, people might really think, hey, she doesn't really look like a, a pubescent girl or, you know, whatever. She's very, he was very concerned for her safety in uh, Lebanon, wherever they were traveling to, Turkey, or I, can't, I can't remember. Um, and it was super interesting, right? And also asked about what the sure. passport should be, what should the name be. You know, she goes by the name. I can't remember what, what name she was using, but it, you know, the birth certificate name, the passport name was a, a male name because she was identified as, as male at birth. Um, that was fascinating to me. Another fascinating one was, you know, back in the day, okay, so multi-generational travel is this concept of, you know, grandma taking her kids and uh, grandma and grandpa taking their kids and maybe their grandkids on a trip, but multi-generational, right, on a cruise. Typically, you see that in a cruise, 20 members of the Salvado family on a cruise. Um, and back in the day, if one of you was queer or gender nonconforming, you'd hide that from grandma. Grandma didn't want to know. Grandma was a conservative, white, older lady. You know, she doesn't want it. Nowadays, if, if it really has changed so much that you see all these stories, like anecdotally, I, mean, I don't have surveys, but anecdotally, the grandmother was like, I'm very proud of my transgender granddaughter. I'm very proud of my long-haired little boy who, you know, who, who likes to dance ballet and whatever that is, like there's a pride now and you, you, they don't want, even if they're from a conservative background or religion or whatever, they, they protect their family and they want their family to be treated with the, the utmost respect, the same as everyone else would get. So, you know, you have this idea that kind of then starts percolating out to training. All this that I've talked to you starts to think about what is the training for destinations? What are the training for hospitality providers, tour companies, uh, hotels, cruise companies, when they're seeing people who may not conform, when you, when, when you accidentally say, good morning, little girls, when it's 
two girls and a boy and grandma gets pissed off, you know, or um, right, right. I had this, I had this guy who was a, a gentleman who was a wine steward at a, at a very high end river cruise company. And he said, Oh, you know, from, he's from Bulgaria. And he's like, I, I had these two men together. They were a great couple and they were celebrating anniversary. But when I went to serve them wine and not, not doing his accent justice, <laughs> um, when I went to serve them wine, I wanted to know which is the Mr. and which is the Mrs. And I was a little taken aback, but then I realized all the training and hospitality training is kind of from like from the Victorian era. It's always a man and a woman, white, traveling together, maybe with kids and maybe not. So you serve the woman first. You give the man the bottle of wine. You give the man the check. You take the woman's coat, right? So nowadays right. where gender is so up in the air, especially with millennials and Gen Z, that they all know someone who uses pronouns other than he or she. They, they, they may actually consider themselves something other than straight, and that's what surveys are showing. So they don't want to be treated in a cliche way. So in other words, hospitality providers, we're, we're finding as a, as a part of safety, they have to start thinking about just removing um, assumptions about relationship status and assumptions about gender and just remove gender and assumptions about relationships out of their service so that you have to get to know each of the people you serve as individuals. So who would like the wine? Who would like the check? Uh, oh, good morning, children, instead of good morning, little girls. Good morning, um, right. good morning, fellow travelers, instead of good morning, ladies and gentlemen. So we're starting to see an understanding that we need to take gender out and we need to take assumptions about relationship status out. Um, it still happens that men go to, or two, a couple, two men, two women go to a hotel and they're denied um, the bedding of their choice, which is outrageous, right? So I have this young, beautiful Colombian, uh, Puerto Rican friend with her, uh, her same-sex partner. Her, she's a lesbian, and they were traveling in Colombia, and she planned the whole thing. She booked hotels for you know her and her partner at all these places. And when she got to three of the hotels, kind of like small little country hotels, used to give them one bed. They made them take two beds because they just refused to even understand what two women would be doing in a bed together. And so, so, so this kind of still exists. And I remember it used to happen to me a lot when I traveled with my partner, you know, 30 years ago. And it doesn't happen so much anymore in Western right. places, but it still happens in the world. And so, um, you know, it, that's a huge issue. So if, that's, straight people never have to think about that, really. I'm, I'm, the, only thing, the only equivalent thing I can think of for straight people is if they're unmarried and go to a strict Muslim destination that may not allow them to have a, a room together unless they have, unless they're married. Like that's the only equivalent I can think of. But for the most part, mm. it's only queer people that have to worry about um, all the stress when they travel and um, especially relating to their, their per, the perceived relationship or, you know, having to come out in awkward situations. Oh, wait, there must be a mistake, sir, that we have you in one bed. Uh, well, yeah, then you have to go, that's the partner. That's my, the guy I'm having sex with. Like, you know what I mean? They're kind of making you say this stuff that's personal instead of just having much better training um, around that. But one thing I would always suggest is uh, if you're really concerned, call, and you can just tell a lot about the reaction on the phone. Hi, can I speak to your manager on duty or your or manager? Or uh, Oh, sure, what would you, what's in this relation to? I just want to make sure my partner, are going to be comfortable at your hotel? Oh, great, let me ask. You know, you get connected. What, what's your, um, you know, if they ask you, uh, you know, okay, what is your concern? Oh, um, I'm traveling with my partner. You know, we're a same-sex couple, and we're, we're celebrating an anniversary. I just want to make sure we're going to be comfortable at your hotel or, you know. Oh, and if, if, it's, if it's like immediately a very um, – like a defensive response, like, oh, everyone's welcome here. 
see where your alarm should go off because that defensiveness for a hospitality provider is not indicative of good service. You know, the the better, better one is, Oh, I may ask, you know, yeah, you know, we, we, we have, we, we love our LGBTQ guests. We welcome a lot of LGBTQ guests. In fact, we, you know, I had a couple of friends who, who are gay who stayed here. Like that kind of answer would make me feel very more, much more comfortable. And that they should probe a little bit like, what are you concerned about? Oh, I'm just wondering, you know, we're by, sitting by the pool and holding hands. Is anybody going to look at us? You know, I mean, it actually takes a bit of bravery to make that kind of call. I, 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 I do it professionally because we do some audits sometimes, and it's really enlightening to hear how people respond. Um, some people right. do the defensive thing. Some people get overly effusive. Oh, we love gays, you know. But, you know, when you, when you have, like, someone who's thoughtful about it, you know, it's very interesting. One thing in the, all the training and travel safety training and marketing training we do is, you know, people don't have permission. Mainstream people, regular people outside of our community, don't have permission, especially in a professional setting, to use the words gay or lesbian or LGBTQ. We do because it's what we do for a living. But most people don't, right? So in a, in a, even in a study, even when we have clients who are super sophisticated here in New York and we're talking about, you know, LGBTQ or career stuff, and they'll say they're straight and they don't want to – they want to be sensitive. They don't want to insult or be um, be insensitive, and they don't want to say anything wrong. So they'll say, um, um, your community – or uh, those people, or th- this type of client. Like, they, they don't just say LGBTQ or gay or queer. We say it all the time. Right. We're used to it. They don't. So we have to be a little sensitive to that. But when people, when they don't even have that vocabulary or they don't even know what to ask, that to me that's a little alarming. Like, every business in the world, especially tourism and travel, uh, you know, brands and destinations and whatnot, cruises, they all have queer guests period. You know, every single business has had gay guests or will always have gay guests. Like it's just that's the way life is. So so those businesses should at least acknowledge and try to understand them a little bit. You know, have a minimal basic standard of, you know, just verifying the bed configuration for all guests, not just for two men or two women traveling together. So everyone should just you know, you should say to every all your guests, Oh, just reconfirming there's one king size bed. Yep, terrific. You know what I mean? And and if you offer, sure. if you have couples, if you couple have couples check in, straight couples, and you say, "Ooh, celebrating anything, uh, anything special?" Ask all your couples that, right? Don't just single out um, heterosexual couples. Also, just simple things that hotels and other spaces can do is, you know, have bathrooms uh, that are gender welcoming or gender neutral or all gender welcome. Why? Because you know there are people who just don't feel comfortable using the gender uh, a gendered bathroom for whatever reason. There's also you know right. families traveling together, people who need privacy, people who may need to change real quick. You know, so so having a stall, privacy stall for uh, people is really. I know that's hard because maybe you have to relabel the door or do some construction, but it really is a good thing to have, and it, it'll show you that you're kind of welcoming. There's so many things. Uh, People, you know, does that hotel you're interested in have any LGBTQ information at all on their website? You know, do they, do they are their pictures right. inclusive? Was, do they have do, do they have anything that's inclusive? You know, that's the thing to start looking for. Um, what are resources are available out there um, specifically towards LGBT questions? Are there any travel resources people can go online and oh, find? Yeah. Absolutely. You had mentioned the IGLTA. That's a very good resource. It's really a networking business member-based organization, but their mandate is really for the uh, for the safety sort of and the um, 
um, informational purposes LGBTQ travel. So that's, that's not a bad place to start. IGLTA.com or .org. I can't remember now. Uh, I'll, I'll look it up while, we're chat, while I'm continuing to talk. Um, but there are lots and lots and lots of really, really good resources out there in the world. Um, you know, if you, if you're, um, uh, if your listeners just Google, you know, gay travel resources, LGBTQ travel resources. I, I bet you I'll pop up fairly quickly, but there's so many good ones. I really, there's a woman um, in um, Ohio that I think is terrific. I've worked with her a little bit. She, she's, tur- she's moving towards tourism. She's more into retail. Uh, Elise D'Alessandro, she's uh, Ready to Scare is her blog. I love that. Uh, for uh, other blog, other information sources, say for women, Curve Magazine Online has great travel once upon a journey is these two really fantastic lesbian a lesbian couple from the Netherlands who do a lot of great travel and tourism. Um, if you're interested in a particular destination, you can type LGBTQ NYC or LGBTQ Puerto Rico or, or Fort Lauderdale. Those three and some others have really good robust uh, content on their destination websites. So that's really really helpful. Um, and then for uh, for the the fellows for the guys um, blogs. Let me see. There's um, uh, so, you know, I, I actually think if you go on to the um, IGLTA.org, which I just um, checked out, they have all their partners. There's lots and lots of blogs, um, lots and lots of blogs listed there. There's just so many good ones, but they're a little bit scattered. Um, you know, blogs, are, uh, they might not get huge traffic, so it might be hard to Google search. But if you just do sure. you know, gay travel, lesbian travel, and then LGBTQ travel and uh, Google those, you'll see some really, really good content. And the magazine that I, I – most, you know, was editor-in-chief of it just until this past uh, March um, or February, I guess, was is Man About World. That's a free um, quarterly app-based travel publication, mostly geared towards gay men and their travel professionals, but also just really good, really good content and really good information. So, so those sources hopefully can uh, will will provide a little bit of a, a basis uh, to start uh, start your research for gay travelers. But there's lots and lots of good information out there. Very, very cool. Well, we got to start wrapping this up, Ed. Talk to me. Sure. Um, what right now is probably the top three destinations for LGBT travelers right now, in your opinion? That's such a good question. You know, it's funny people always ask me. So, um, what are the what are the hot what are the hot destinations um, uh, hot destination hot gay, gay gay travel destinations? And I always joke, it's the same as for everyone else, the straight people, but gay people just go there, you know, like 12 to 18 months in advance. <laughs> so so <laughs> if you like look it. at your, it's very interesting because if you look at your, uh, I always joke to straight people, if you look at your gay friends' Facebook feed, that's where you'll see them posting. That's what you'll be going in 12 months or a year. You know, for, for a little while there, it was like Croatia was super hot, right, for um, uh, gay mm-hmm. people. And then seriously, 12 months later, it was, it was that. So for me, personally, gosh, there's so many. I have so many places on my list that I haven't been to. I still haven't been to Peru. And I think that kind of, especially Machu Picchu, that got kind of hot a couple of years ago. But, you know, obviously it's been around forever and ever. And I, that's definitely high yeah. up on my list. Also Malta. Malta, that little island, independent island nation in the uh, Mediterranean that, where they speak Italian and Arabic. And there's just a really cool melting pot of all these different languages. To me, that's kind of high up on the list. They do a lot of marketing in the LGBTQ space. I think that could be an interesting one. Um, in recent years, um, I've been to, to some kind of remote places in Brazil that I really liked. One was uh, Jalapao, J-A-L-A-P-A-O. It's in kind of the middle of 
the country, and it's still very undeveloped, but a really special place where you can um, you can go into these beautiful uh, round like hot springs almost that are just like almost just beautiful like pools in the middle of the jungle, really strange and crazy and red sand dunes. They're almost other earthly, I would say, you know, otherworldly. Really, really kind of fascinating. Um, right. uh, I I'm a big huge fan of Africa, and I think. You know, who knows with the coronavirus, you know, what's going to happen with Africa. But if you can get on a safari, if your listeners can just save their money, go on a safari now. Don't wait for 20 years because there'll be fewer and fewer animals to see. It's heartbreaking to even say it, but I think that's probably true, you know. Um, and then the first trip I'll do after this is all over is uh, go to Paris because I used to live there and I love it. And I had to cancel the trip um, right when everything kind of started collapsing. I was I had a ticket in my hand to Paris right. and I said, I just can't do it. And it's, it, it's like cutting myself with, with a, a knife because to, to, for me to cancel the trip, you know, it's, it's the biggest deal on in my life. You know? <laughs> so that I was bet. super, super difficult. So I've had a lot of, um, a lot of my gay friends going to uh, elephant, elephant, uh, preservation places in Africa and they're loving every second. I've seen pictures all the time going to um, elephant sanctuaries and things like that. So that, that would be a very cool destination. That's a wonderful one. And there are, be, be, do your research because there are some of those that are exploitive and not nice. And there are others that are just doing the right thing. They're, they're, they're um, using their money to like, um, uh, you know, for conservancy for elephants to kind of rescue them and everything like that. Just, it's, such an important, important thing, and it's good that your friends are doing that because they're contributing to a very important uh, cause. There you go. That could be the only good thing that came out of Tiger King, as we know that there's conservation <laughs> and there's schlocky people. <laughs> there's so good and bad out funny. there in the animal world. <laughs> oh, for sure. Oh, my God. And there's some amazing oh people. God. At the New York Times Travel Show, we have one of our partners, um, Danny Poncher with Sikaleli Tours. She's doing great thing, great tours. And they're hurting right now, but they'll come back. And then uh, uh, lesbian-owned Wild Rainbow African Safaris, a uh, woman, um, named Jody Cole runs that, and she's already she's booking. She said she's booked up for 21, so she's she's if she can hang on till then, she, which she can, she's going to be in good position. But she's a that's a wonderful resource for anyone gay or straight who's interested in going on a, a safari in Africa. Nice, I like it. Very very cool. Well, Ed Savato, it's been a pleasure having you on today. Let everyone know where they can get a hold of you, uh, social media, sure. or through your companies, so they can yeah. uh, reach out and bend your ear a bit and get some advice. Um, it's me, my pleasure. And you can find me at my website, which is edsalvato.com, E-D-S-A-L-V-A-T-O.com. And I'd love to hear from anyone, please. It's, it's, it brings me great pleasure, and I hope we can all get out there traveling soon. Well, it's my pleasure to have you on the on the phone. We may have to have a regular travel segment on the show here. I think I, I'd like that because I do love like oh, to travel. You know, so I, do a lot of I was the call-in guy on the Derek and Romaine show for 10 years until they, you know, one day the next day just stuck least um, because of whatever happened internally, but I would love it. If you want to do that, you can count me in. Super duper. We will definitely talk off air on that. Guys, be sure awesome. to check out uh, Ed's website and uh, take his recommendations. He has been doing this a long time, and he knows of what he speaks. We're actually going to do a fun <laughs> five questions with Ed, so be sure to check out that bonus content. That will be eligible or available online very shortly. So we're going to go ahead and play out here. Ed, again, thanks for coming on the show. Stay on the line for My me. My pleasure. Sure will. And we'll be back in just a little bit. You'll see the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight radio network. 
All righty, guys. We are back. I had to cut that song a little short. That was Kenneth Mogan with Holy Water. Kenneth is going to be my guest this Monday on a brand new musical Monday coming up. He has a new song and album to talk about, so we have that going on. Guys, thanks so much for listening today. A big shout-out to my guests, my buddy Stan Zimmerman and Fernando Rivera. And so happy to have Ed Salvato as part of the Left of Straight family. He is going to be doing some regular travel updates for us, so I'm looking forward to that. Great interview with all three today. Guys, I don't know if you saw the social media, and if you're not following me, why aren't you? If you go to Twitter or Instagram at Left of Straight, always spelled L-E-F-T, O-F-S-T-R and the number eight. I put out today, the month of April, I talked to 33 different guests. It was the most I've ever talked to. We have the biggest ratings. We're up to, we gained 5,000 listeners per episode just over the month of April. So thank you all for tuning in. Thanks for sharing with your friends. Please subscribe at all your favorite podcast distributors, Apple Podcasts and iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all of those. Tell your friends. If you like an episode, give it a five-star rating. All that does is says that you like it, but it also beefs it up in the rating so other people can find it as well. So I have all new, five new episodes for you next week, Monday through Friday, same time, 6 o'clock Pacific, 9 o'clock Eastern time. I'm loving every second of this uh corona quarantine for me to talk to all these great people i know it's tough for everyone else out there be safe this weekend have a great weekend and we will see you next week everyone thanks for listening to the left of straight show bye